morning we continue our study through Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, his first letter to the Thessalonians. And we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 17, and we'll go through the third chapter. So the title of this morning's message is Increase and Abound in Love. Increase and Abound in Love. Let's begin by reading in chapter 2, verse 17. As the Apostle Paul writes, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Oh, Father, teach us what it means to increase and abound in love. Lord, how it is that you desire for us to have that agape love for one another and for all. That as we do so, we come before you as truly blameless and holy before a holy and righteous God. That we express to others that which you first expressed to us through your son Jesus Christ. And that is an agape love, a sacrificial love. As we look to Calvary, as we look to the cross, we see the, the pinnacle for us of your love. The perfect demonstration of a God who loved us before we loved him. May we do the same. May we learn to do the same for each other. And to, as Paul did, long for the sh- fellowship of the brethren that we too would desire with fervency and with passion to come together and to, enjoy, and to enjoy each other's company and to be built up in the Lord. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask that you would speak to us this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, last week we learned about this one word, right? You remember what that word was? As one word that, that I would I was hoping that you'd remember. What was that word? Tenacious, right? To be tenacious. Tenacity. We learned about the tenacity that the Apostle Paul possessed for the spreading of the gospel. The glory of God at any cost and therefore resulting in the edification of the saints. Or the building up of the church by instruction in the word of God. Uh, there was a perseverance that Paul exemplified. A, a man that could not and would not be stopped. He wouldn't allow his own flesh from stopping him. He wouldn't allow his circumstances from stopping him. No suffering, nor any opposition would stop him, would hold him back, would hinder him. Paul demonstrated a tenacity for the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, What this demonstrated to us is a genuine faith 
that was worth and is worth imitating. It is believed that this letter that we have before us is Paul's first letter to the churches. And it was perhaps that hindering of Satan from Paul coming personally to the church in Thessalonica that led him to begin to write to the churches. And that's what what is believed. That perhaps it was that very thing that Satan thought would stop Paul, holding him back. Well, Paul didn't just look at that particular difficulty, that particular opposition, but he looked beyond. And he started to write these letters to the churches. Not only was Paul able to minister to the churches individually, but also God allowed him to be hindered and opposed. Yes, he did. And challenged so that these letters would be written for the benefit of the churches then and the benefit of the church today. Please keep in mind that the Apostle Paul was once Saul of Tarsus, a man who imprisoned and murdered Christians. His heart was turned from despising Christians to loving Christians as he, he had now become one. He was converted. He was born again. He understood. He saw the love of God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And he learned how to love the brethren and was willing even to lay down his life for the sake of the brethren. From one who was taking their lives to one who was willing to lay his own life down for them. What a conversion. Oftentimes, people should see that very same conversion in us. In fact, it's a must. It's necessary for us to have such a radical conversion to where you can't even recognize the person that you once were. Paul learned to abound in love toward the brethren because of the love that he had been shown by the Lord. And I believe it would do us good to listen very closely to what the Lord has to say to us this morning as we learn how it is that this man of perseverance was not only tenacious in spreading the gospel, but also in loving the brethren. And listen listen to this. Having their best interest at heart. To see them be established in the Lord. Blameless, holy, before a holy and righteous God. Completely taking himself out of the equation. He was just looking for their benefit. Ready for the coming of Christ Jesus our Lord is what he desired for them to be prepared for. This is the heart we ought to have toward one another. And it's a heart that glorifies the Lord. That is the man or the woman after God's own heart. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Oftentimes, we only read verse 35. But verse 34 kind of just puts things in context, in proper context. Because what the Lord is telling us as his disciples is that, hey, listen, just as I have loved you, look to me as your example. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And that is sacrificially. 
He gave of himself completely. There is nothing that he held back. Nothing at all. Paul's desire for the church in Thessalonica was that they would increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Not just for one another, but for all. So that the Lord may establish their hearts blameless in holiness. That means consecrated and dedicated toward the Lord to be ready for His coming. To be ready for Jesus' coming. So we'll see, number one, how it is that we are to know the source of fellowship hindrance. It's very important. We, we need to know that. What is the source of fellowship hindrance? Secondly, persevere through afflictions. Thirdly, comfort through mutual faith. And fourthly, increase and abound in love for one another. Let's take a look at the first one, to know the source of fellowship hindrance. Again, in verse 17, it says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, but because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. It says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone, to one another and to everyone. Sounds familiar. It sounds like that which the, the, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonians in this chapter, in this portion of, of that letter. If, and it does, the Bible strongly urges and commands us as Christians to come together in fellowship, to stir up one another, to love and good works, and to labor together, to admonish, to encourage, to help to express patience and respond rightly to one another, then we know that any hindrance to that fellowship is the work of the devil because he is opposed to God and God's people and God's word. Right? If, if that's what the Lord desires, and anything opposed to what the Lord desires is, is not of God, it's of Satan. It's... It's of the one who desires to destroy, to divide, to kill. It's of him. John 10.10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. There's always a contrast between the desires and intents of Satan and the desires and intents of God in our lives. And we need to recognize that. And that's what we see here 
This first portion here is that we need to recognize the source of the hindrance of our fellowship. We know from Acts 17 that after three weeks of ministering there, that the Apostle Paul was torn away. And he was torn away by some wicked men. In fact, they were referred to as jealous Jews and wicked men of the rabble. That is, the rabble is a a mob. They had formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason where they thought Paul and Silas, or Silvanus as he's referred to here, were staying. And for their safety, Paul and Silas were immediately taken away and sent to Berea. And so they went to Berea. But guess who followed them? These jealous Jews, they they followed them. These uh, wicked fellows from Thessalonica, they followed them. Well, Paul and Silas tried hard to return to Thessalonica uh, to see them face to face, is what we read here, that they desired to see them face to face personally, but Satan hindered them. Consider what Paul thought of the brothers and sisters in Thessalonica in verse 17. He says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Oh, what glory and joy. What blessing, what encouragement we ought to have. When we are growing in the Lord and maturing in the Lord, and we see that reflected in how we respond to different things in our lives. We ought to consider each other our glory and our joy, especially those we may be discipling and serving. Each and every person who is serving in in a different ministry uh, should consider those that they've been entrusted with And find it a great blessing when, as they disciple them, that they reflect that maturity in how they handle different situations. Whether it be a a situation at school, if you're in teaching in children's ministry, how it is that they're handling a difficult difficult situation in their home with a fellow student. I, you know, at work, if you have a a group of people who are ushering or greeting the worship team, all of those, those different areas, that's your glory and joy. If Satan's goal, if Satan's goal is to steal, kill, and destroy, then we need to acknowledge and know that the source of fellowship hindrance is Satan himself. So we need to be warned. We need to be vigilant, aware, knowledgeable of these things. We don't handle them lightly, in other words. It's not funny. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, eh, ha-ha, we just joke around about it. No, it's really nothing to joke about. Sometimes, you know, when we do joke about that, it's because perhaps we take it lightly and whether we fellowship or not, it's really not a big deal because we have other things that are more important. And so we laugh about it. We treat it lightly. But the Lord is telling us through the Scripture, we shouldn't take it lightly. He's warning us. He's telling us this is what it is. Paul desired to be 
with the brethren, and yet it was a hindrance. Something that was holding him back, delaying him from going. And it was the work of the devil. Consider that next time you don't feel like coming to church. Can I be honest with you? Just consider that. Just know when you get up and you don't feel like coming. Oh, that's not the Spirit of God. The next time you get into an argument with your wife, men, just before you come, um, Satan is trying to do many things, okay? He's trying to get your mind off of the Lord. He's trying to stop you from coming and enjoying the fellowship, being uh, encouraged, being built up, uh, being corrected as well, and all of the above. And, uh, and, and so he's, he's working in many different ways, at many, using trying many different angles. If you have a young son or daughter that just, I don't know, is so attached to that blanket and that pillow, and, and it's just so hard to get them up, just know that Satan is working through them <laughs> to keep you from coming. Don't let them dictate whether you come or not. Please don't do that. Who's the adult in your home? Who's the father? Who's the mother? Okay? You are the one to set the example for them. You get them up. You're the parent. You're supposed to teach them to come. We come. Maybe sacrificially. Well, you shouldn't have stayed up till 12 midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. Prepare for the day and come. We come anyway, right? So we know anything opposed to that which is the will of God is not of God, right? We're warned. So number one, know the source of fellowship hindrance. Number two, persevere through afflictions. Verse one of chapter three, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Everything that they had done. Paul and Silas were there. They were teaching. Remember, they were in Thessalonica for three weeks, pouring into uh, many Gentiles there. And some Jews came to faith as well, but mostly Gentiles. In that short time, they knew exactly who Satan was in, in his work, but they knew, most importantly, who Jesus Christ was. And they found salvation through him. So it stands to reason then that since Satan is the source of hindrance to our fellowship, that we should persevere through afflictions and opposition, we know will be coming our way. They'll be coming. Oh, they'll be coming. They come. Just know. It's like, don't. You know what's funny is is when 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 we're shocked. When we're like, we're so shocked and we're like set back and like, I can't believe this happened. I, okay, so we have plumbing problems at our house. 
There's one way that Satan is constantly trying to hold us back from certain things, from fellowship and from serving him and, and all of that. So I don't know what he uses with you, maybe car problems. I don't know. But I remember this one time, and this was just last year, I think it was, that um, we had a baptism, and I came home, and, you know, I heard this something, and I thought, is that? No. A water leak. But where? And it, the, the sound led me to this wall, and I heard it, and then I, I, I saw this bulge coming out like the paint was coming out a little bit from the wall. And I thought that was, that's interesting. <laughs> and so I poked at it. And I realized that there was a, just this little pinhole leak in the pipe that's coming out from the heater. And so they had the whole wall wet. So I started just hammering that thing and, and the whole wall came down. So I turned off the water main and went to the baptism. <laughs> I wasn't shocked. I wasn't shocked. It, it, that, that, that just, that those things happen. What do we do? Do we shut down the baptism just because I had a little water leak? No. No, no, no. Let's turn off the water main. Solves everything temporarily. And I had some wonderful brothers come to the house, and they grabbed my key, and they knew about plumbing, and they, they kind of started working on the the issue there. But that's what we do. Don't let things shock you. Don't let things stop you from doing what the Lord desires for you to do. Here is how Paul handled the situation. Silvanus and Paul stayed in Athens and they sent Timothy. Oh, so you want to hinder me from coming? Well, I'm going to go ahead and send Timothy. Silas and myself will stay here in Athens and we're going to send Timothy to Thessalonica. The purpose of sending Timothy is of utmost importance. The purpose here is to encourage the people to persevere through afflictions. The very thing that the Apostle Paul was doing, they were to do. John 16.33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. So the Lord is saying, from His own mouth... You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Even then, he's saying you're going to have tribulation, but he he wasn't saying, oh, go ahead and quit. He wasn't saying hold back. He says, persevere. Keep going. Why? Because I have overcome. To the Ephesian elders, uh, I want to read in Acts chapter 20, what the Apostle Paul had spoken to them about. So in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31, he said, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, 
remembering that for three years I did not cease, night or day, to admonish everyone with tears. So even the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian elders, remember that he, he spent a considerable amount of time there in Ephesus. And, and this is what he wanted to share with them, that they would stand guard, know that there are those who are going to come in and try and destroy the church. And he warned them. And again, he didn't tell them to retreat. He told them to continue to persevere, to persevere, to be steadfast in the Lord, to continue on. So knowing these warnings, we see here how Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to establish and exhort the church in their faith. Establish is to set up on a firm foundation, and that's what it means. The, the gospel, the word of God, we don't build on any other foundation but the word of God on Jesus Christ himself. He was sent to exhort the church to strongly encourage or urge. So it wasn't just an instruction. It's like, I just want to bring you a word. No, it was with passion. It was with a, a great sense of urgency. And, and, I, and, and he desired to urge them to be steadfast in the Lord. And this is what Timothy was sent to do, to set them up on a firm foundation which was the word of God, and to urge them to stay strong in their faith, not to waver. That's where we ought to get to the point to where we do not waver. Come what may, it doesn't matter what we're faced with, the circumstances that we're in the midst of, that we do not waver. Why was Paul concerned that they would possibly waver? Well, we have the answers as we read them. Two things. One was temptations. The other one was the suffering of afflictions. One entices the flesh and the other weakens it. Both intend to subdue it to compromise. Both of them, temptations and afflictions. Either one, take your pick. I've seen people fold under afflictions. The Apostle Paul was one that was very familiar with afflictions. I, he's just a wonderful example of a man who persevered. Afflictions, well, have you ever been beaten to the point to where you were left for dead? You know, taken out because of your faith. Left for dead, and then, and then what did the Apostle Paul do? He, he got back up and he went right back into the city that he was... Yeah. I need to go back in. Who would do that? Uh, who has been shipwrecked? Anyone shipwrecked? Beaten several times? Imprisoned? Maybe some. Don't raise your hands. <laughs> he was a man familiar with suffering and affliction, wasn't he? So he was telling them, just as he had experienced suffering and affliction himself, that they too should hold fast in that time. And he had told them that they were going to experience suffering and affliction and wanted to make sure that they were persevering through their afflictions just as Paul was, being steadfast in their faith. You will know the strength of your faith when it is tested, just like winds 
tests the strength of a tree. In the ocean, the strength of a ship. So afflictions and temptations will test the strength of your faith. C.S. Lewis said this, quote, God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. Close quote. So persevere. Be established in your faith. So number one, know the source of fellowship hindrance. Number two, persevere through afflictions. Number three, comfort through mutual faith. Verse six, as we continue, says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. There's this great comfort through mutual faith. The expression of faith in our lives brings great comfort and encouragement for another person. And their faith does the same for us. And so here we see how Timothy brings back a good report to Paul about the brethren in Thessalonica. Faith and love. The two things that encourage the Apostle Paul about them. Oh, he was greatly encouraged. We can't miss this. This is the very thing. He was concerned about them. And then Timothy brings back a great report. And what encourages the heart of the Apostle Paul? Their faith in Christ and their love that they expressed for Jesus Christ and for the brethren. Oh, that encouraged the Apostle Paul. In spite of personal afflictions and temptations, Paul learned that the Thessalonians that the Thessalonians were persevering in their faith. They were immovable. And this was cause for Paul to rejoice in thanksgiving toward God for them. And it brought comfort to Paul in his own distress and afflictions, as we read there, right? In my own distress and afflictions, I am I'm greatly encouraged. 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 6, the Apostle Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Apostle Peter knew that very well. He had uh, made many blunders experienced many things, and yet he knew what the restoration of Christ looked like. 
as he was restored. It's interesting how we're comforted by knowing that other brethren in other places are experiencing the same thing we're experiencing, isn't it? It's kind of interesting. It's like I'm hurting and my brother's hurting. Wow, that brought me great comfort. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) thanks for sharing in that suffering. It's odd, but in a way, if we know that our brother or sister in Christ is persevering through that difficulty, that trial, then it somehow gives us strength as well. When we resist the attempts of the devil to destroy us, standing firm in our faith, it serves as an encouragement to each other. And that's what it is. It's that faith expressed. It brings comfort while in our own afflictions and produces a heart of thanksgiving for each other. It's being thankful. We have joy in the Lord. And with this, verse 10, we see how Paul even more so desired to go to them. To help them mature even more in their faith. I don't know, there's something about someone who listens. (laughs) It's like, you know, when you have someone and you're, you're trying to help them through a situation and you're trying to encourage them with a word and um, they're just not receiving it. I mean, your heart goes out to them and you want them to receive, to understand. And you keep going to them. But then there's something else when you have someone who is willing to receive and listens and heeds the word of God and applies it to their lives. And then you, with greater joy, go to them. And you want to give them even more. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. He says, how it is that as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply you and supply what is lacking in your faith. That's what he desired to do. I want to go again. Now that I've heard this, your faith and love is just beautiful because you've listened to what I've taught you. You're applying it. And now I just want to go and supply you with whatever it is that you're lacking. I want to keep going because you persevere through your afflictions and you're bringing comfort to others through your faith. So it is with us. Jonathan Edwards says this, The way to heaven is ascending. We must be content to travel uphill, though it be hard and tiresome and contrary to the natural bias of our flesh. Close quote. So number one, know the source of fellowship hindrance. Number two, persevere through afflictions. Thirdly, comfort through mutual faith. And fourthly and lastly, increase and abound in love for one another. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an interesting statement, and this is a prayer of the Apostle Paul. It is the compound subject of a singular verb. It's, it's interesting because he's referring to the Godhead. In that just opening prayer, opening portion of his prayer, he's making reference to the Godhead. And so Paul writes his prayer for the Thessalonians that he just referred to in the previous verse. 
If Satan was hindering them from coming to the Thessalonians, then Paul was going to petition the one who could make a way through what was difficult. Very important for us. As the Apostle Paul falls on and looks to and trusts in the power of prayer, so should we. Are you facing anything that seems to be difficult, if not impossible? Pray. Petition the one who can make a way through what is difficult. Satan binds, but God unbinds. Satan hinders, but God enables. None compares to God, and with God we know all things are possible. Right? Ian Bounds said this, quote, We can do nothing without prayer. All things can be done by importunate, that is persistent, prayer. By the way, that word is, is persistent to the point of being annoying. <laughs> do you pray that way? Persistent prayer. It surmounts or overcomes or removes all obstacles, overcomes every resisting force, and gains its ends in the face of invincible hindrances. What was Paul's prayer for his brethren? That the Lord would make them increase and abound in their love for one another and for all. That was his prayer. Agape love is a distinguishing mark of the Christian. A love for one another and a love for all. It's a love for each other and others that is different from the world's definition of love. In Matthew, Matthew chapter 5, this is how how different it is. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. It says, You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, that's a different type of love. You know, it's not responsive or reactive to how it is that we're loved. If you love me, I'll love you. Well, no different than the world. No different than anyone else. Love for one another is evidence of maturity in Christ. I'll say that again. Love for one another is evidence of maturity in Christ. God loved us when we were still his enemies, demonstrated by the sacrifice of his son. What evidence of this type of love are we demonstrating? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, is what we read. Perfect not in the sense of, you know, without blemish, perfect no longer making any errors. That's, that's not what's being referred to here. Perfect in the sense of being mature in Christ. Be mature in Christ and increase and abound in your love for one another in this manner that we just read, in that way. 
Paul reminds them of the love that he has demonstrated to them as an example of this type of love. So, what are the results of this? The fruit of having this love for one another. That's what, that's what we ought to look, look for. What's a, what's a fruit? What, what is the product of it? Well, their hearts would be set firmly before the Lord in holiness. No accusations would stick. They would be considered blameless, ready for the Lord's return. That's what the, that's what the Apostle Paul desired for the Thessalonians. That they would possess a clear conscience and know that they are ready to meet the Lord at any given moment without leaving anything undone. Nothing undone. I'm ready. There's, there's, there's no one, there's nothing that I, I haven't taken care of. Oh, that issue with so-and-so, yeah, I, I address that. Everything. This is ultimately what Satan wants to hinder. That the Lord would do his work in the life of his people. And to increase and abound in love for one another and for all. But listen to this. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, right? Greater is he who is in us. Uh, Who is in us? The, The Lord is dwelling within us. God, the creator of the universe. You know that he who is in the world is a created being? Creation is not greater than the creator. So he's no match. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. So those things we ought to know. Number one, know the source of fellowship hindrance. Number two, persevere through afflictions. Number three, comfort through mutual faith. And number four, increase and abound in love for one another. In closing, the type of fellowship that leads to what Paul is referring to is seen clearly in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 and I just want to read it. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In love. Hudson Taylor said, quote, At the timberline where the storms strike with the most fury, the sturdiest trees are found. Close quote. That's where you'll be found. So don't fear those storms that come with great power, for greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be established in your faith, persevering through afflictions and temptations, for this brings comfort and encouragement to one another as we increase and abound in love for one another and for all.
We love because He first loved us. Jesus Christ is our perfect example of the love we ought to live out in our own lives toward all, especially to each other. May we be thankful toward God and pray all the more and trust in God for that which we need. He supplies. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. Thank you for your grace. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to persevere through trials and afflictions. That you would help us, Lord, to glorify you by being mature in our faith. That we would demonstrate an agape love toward one another. Lord, that we would not hold back that which you have demonstrated to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And that is a sacrificial love. I pray that we would bring you glory. And I do ask, Lord, that if there is anyone here who does not know that love personally, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation in that they, they believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That they look to you and ask for your forgiveness. And as they do, and as they look to Jesus as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day in which the old person is, is dead. And the new in Christ comes alive in Christ. That we would know forgiveness of sins. And we would know the sure hope of forever being in your glory. And so, Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Father. For not only giving us eternal life, but Lord, being patient with us and helping us live this life to your glory. We thank you, Father, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.